Well, over the last 10 weeks, we've been in this series looking at questions that Siri can't answer. And today we come to the finale in this series. If you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 20. And in the Gospel of John, we read a story that a lot of you will probably recognize. This is just a few days after Jesus has risen from the dead, and we read that one of his disciples named Thomas doubted that the resurrection actually happened. Now, you've got to understand, Thomas loved Jesus. He would have done anything for Jesus to come back to life, but his intellectual honesty would not allow him to believe in something that he really didn't believe. And so he had these doubts, these questions. The other disciples got to see Jesus. He didn't get to see Jesus, and he doubted whether or not it was really true. So I want to read this story together and then make a few observations about what Thomas did with his questions that I hope will encourage us as we struggle at different times with questions and doubts. John chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He demanded proof. Ever since then, Thomas has been known as Doubting Thomas. But I think we can understand his doubts. I mean, we would be like that. Thomas wanted to believe. He just couldn't accept what he was hearing. He had too many doubts, too many questions. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are many truths in Christianity that require great faith. And sometimes we are plagued with doubts and questions And so, what do you do when these come? I think for many people, they pretend that their faith is really stronger than it is. They're afraid to be honest with their doubts because maybe it will make them seem weak, so they just stay quiet about it. Or, we become more content with a shallow faith. And instead of being fully committed followers of Jesus, we just quietly live this watered-down version of the life Jesus wants us to live. Or oftentimes what happens is these small doubts, they fester until they consume us and they lead into more doubts and perhaps ultimately they lead us away from faith altogether. We've only been able to touch on a handful of the common questions that people have. Certainly, you could dig into these answers in much greater depth. But in the next few minutes, I want to talk about what's the best way to handle our doubts and questions when they come. Because they will come. You will have doubts. You will have questions in your faith. And those doubts can either make your faith stronger or they can lead you away from your faith. 
So let's notice a few traits about Thomas that enabled him to move from an outspoken critic to a confident believer. This all happened in a 24-hour period. He was able to deal with these questions. And I don't know, maybe your transformation from doubt to belief won't be as quick, but make no mistake about it. God wants you to deal honestly with your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. Uh, First, I want you to notice about Thomas that he wanted to believe, but he was honest about his doubts. He said, I just have a hard time buying into this. And I struggle with doubts just like Thomas did. I don't always like to admit it. I've spent a lot of my life studying the Bible and giving messages about Scripture, and sometimes I wonder, does it make any difference? God, are you able to use me in any way? Sometimes I look at my weaknesses, I look at my failures, I look at my sins, and I doubt that God is still forgiving and patient with me. I think surely he must have had enough by now. And just to be honest, I see people in pain, and sometimes I see people who are going through more than I think any person should have to go through, and I wonder, God, where are you in this? And God, if you really are all-loving and all-powerful, then why don't you do something? And I am glad that God is not afraid of those questions. I can be honest with the doubts I have. Thomas was honest, but he wanted to believe. And the truth is what you believe has a lot to do with what you want to believe because belief is influenced by desire. Thomas wanted to believe in the resurrection. He wasn't skeptical because he wanted to appear more intellectual than he was. He wanted Jesus to come back to life. He he wanted to believe, but it just seemed impossible to him. I mean, maybe they had seen a ghost. Maybe it was an impersonator. Maybe the disciples were, were pulling a prank. Maybe he thought they were off there smoking something. I don't know, but it was hard for him to believe that Jesus was alive. He wanted to believe. He just honestly couldn't. Doubt is different than unbelief. Thomas doubted, but his doubts drove him to discover the truth. Listen to what John Drummond says. Jesus always distinguished between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is I can't believe. Unbelief is I won't believe. Whether doubts result in faith or unbelief, is sometimes determined by desire. you got to ask yourself, what do I really want to believe? So why would someone say, I don't want to believe in the Bible? I don't want to believe Jesus was the Son of God. Why would someone want to say, I don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, there are a number of reasons. Some people don't want to believe because to believe would require a dramatic change in their lifestyle. And they like the life they're living. They like indulging in the pleasures and excitement of this world. And if they really admit it, that that all of this was true, they know that it would require a dramatic change in lifestyle, and so it's much easier to choose not to believe. And so the call of Jesus is to put others ahead of ourselves, to resist temptation, And sometimes that doesn't sound appealing. 
And so perhaps some people would rather not believe because they don't want to change the way they're living. I heard one person put it this way. Atheists can't believe in God for the same reason that a thief can't find a policeman. Well, they don't really want to. Here's another thing that can keep us from believing or wanting to believe. It's that we find Christians objectionable and we don't want to be identified with them, right? I think there are some people who refuse to believe in the scriptures or in the Christian faith because the last thing they want is to be labeled a Christian. The Christians they know are boring, they're nerdy, they're hypocritical, and they really are these things. It's not that they seem that way. And so they think, man, that's not for me. I don't want to be like them. And just because someone plays Beethoven poorly doesn't mean that Beethoven was a bad composer. Just because someone lives the Christian life poorly doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worth following. God doesn't ask you to be like other Christians. He asks you to be like Jesus Christ. There's a big difference there. I think some people don't want to believe because the last thing they want to be labeled is a Christian. Some people don't believe because it requires too much swallowing of pride. And, And maybe they've ridiculed Christians Maybe they've made fun of the church for years, and they've looked down on other believers, and they've thought of them as weak-minded, and they want to have these doubts because they think that doubting makes them appear more intellectual than everyone else. And some people don't want to believe because it would mean admitting they're wrong, and their pride gets in the way. It's hard to admit, I was wrong about these things. Not too long ago, my wife asked me where I had put the remote, and I told her that I hadn't used it last, that she was the one who had used it last. And so we went back and forth, and she said, no, it wasn't me, it was you. And I don't know when it happened, but at some point in the discussion, I realized I was the one who had the remote last. Now, what do you think I did at that moment? Do you think I stopped the conversation and said, you know what, babe, you're right, I had the remote last? No. Like, I was going all the way down with my argument that she was the one who had the remote last. And pride makes it hard to admit we're wrong, even when we know we're wrong. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is not room for God. And stubborn pride can be a tremendous barrier between believing and doubting. Some people doubt because they don't want to believe. It's interesting that critics of Christianity will often scoff at believers and they'll say, the only reason they want to believe is because they want to believe. It's what their parents taught them. It's what they learned in church growing up. They learned it in Sunday school. They only believe because they want to. But you know what? It works both ways. Some people don't believe because they don't want to believe. And so I give Thomas credit. He wanted to believe, but he honestly admitted that he didn't. That's a good thing to do when you have a question or doubt about your faith. Here's something else I noticed about Thomas. He intentionally placed himself in an environment where he was more likely to discover the truth. We don't know why, but for some reason, Thomas was absent from the other disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. 
I don't know, maybe he was distraught after Jesus was crucified. Maybe he was ill. We don't know. But for whatever reason, he missed this incredible event where Jesus appeared to them alive. But the next Sunday night when the disciples had gathered together, guess who was there? Thomas. He was there. He was not going to miss this. And he could have stubbornly refused. He he could have said, you know what? I don't feel like I'm a part of this group anymore. We're not on the same page intellectually. You all believe one thing, and I don't believe that, so I'm not going to be a part of this. But he came. And in doing so, he exposed himself to the evidence. He put himself in a place where he could honestly examine the truth. And if you really want to believe, then deliberately and consistently place yourself in an environment where you will be confronted with the evidence. Well, there's a difference between cynicism and skepticism. Skepticism is about asking the questions, while cynicism is just assuming the answers. So a skeptic can say, I don't think that's true, but I'm going to check it out. I'm going to investigate it. While a cynic might say, I know that can't be true, so I'm going to put it down. I'm not even going to search to understand that perspective. So are you a cynic or are you a skeptic? Will you set your questions aside unexamined, or will you put yourself in a position where you're going to be confronted with the evidence, where you honestly check it out? For example, I would encourage you, when you have doubts and questions, that you attend a Bible-believing church, that you go there every weekend. Uh, The gospel story is a true story, and that means there is forgiveness of sins, there is eternal life. There's a purpose for your life. I mean, that's stuff that's worth checking out. What if it's really true? So put yourself in a church like Bachelor Creek where you can sit and listen to Bible teaching and just examine for yourself whether or not it really is true. Another thing you can do is associate with people who believe these things and are submitting their lives to these beliefs. Maybe the friends you have, maybe the family you have, make it really hard for you to honestly seek answers to the questions that you have because they just continually reinforce this bias, this presuppositions that you have when it comes to Scripture. So put yourself in a different environment. Be around some people who believe these things and then are living those beliefs out. Dr. Gary Parker was a biology professor at a liberal Christian college in Florida He was there for 12 years as a teacher, and he taught evolution in the classroom. He even wrote about it in a science textbook that he had published. And a Christian professor in the science department introduced him to some material written by a man named Dr. Henry Morris, who was a scientist who argues for creation. At first, Parker admits that he just ridiculed the book. But then he started to read it. And the more that he read Morris's book the more he started to read Scripture, and the more he was persuaded. Well, along the way, Parker became a proponent of intelligent design. He wasn't a Christian yet, but he did believe in intelligent design. But then he became a Christian and a creationist. And he began in his science classroom to stop teaching evolution, and he began teaching creation in this college. But here's what's really interesting. 
This was a very liberal Christian college, and so many professors in the Bible department ridiculed him and challenged him to a debate. And in what had to be one of the most unusual debates in history, you had three professors from the science department who were defending the Bible and three professors from the Bible department who were arguing for evolution. Well, Dr. Parker gave a speech at a conference in Florida several years ago, and I want you to listen to what he said. He said, people often say the Bible should be treated as a science book. I agree. I had to revise my science textbook five times. The Bible hasn't need to be revised one time. The Bible got it right the first time. He came to believe because he was exposed to a Christian friend. He read apologetic literature rather than that which would just reinforce his bias. And like Thomas, he put himself in an environment where he would be exposed to the evidence. Well, there's one other thing I want you to notice about Thomas, and that is he objectively examined the evidence and then made a decision. In that suspense-filled upper room, Jesus appears to them again. He had already seen the other disciples, so he goes to Thomas and he speaks to Thomas directly. He says, Thomas, come see my hands and my feet. Touch the place where the spear was thrust into my side. And then he challenges Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. And there comes a point where the evidence is in, at least enough to where you can have faith. Where you step across that line, you say, all right, I believe. I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to accept this. And Thomas does. He falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus affirmed this conclusion. In John 20, verse 29, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. That's you and me. We don't have the physical evidence that Thomas did. But Jesus promised a special blessing to those of us that though we wouldn't see and though we wouldn't be able to place our hands on his scars, that we would still believe. Faith is trust based on sufficient evidence. If it were based on overwhelming evidence, then no faith would be needed. And as we started out by saying, God wants us to come to him by faith. So we haven't seen. We don't have complete evidence But we examine what we have, and then we can make a decision based on reasonable evidence. Well, the Christian faith is about the only faith that invites and welcomes investigation. And I encourage you not to be silent with your questions, not to hold your doubts inside, but to be honest about them and then to seek the truth. In Matthew 28, the angels say to the woman at the the tomb, Okay, the stone has already been rolled away. Jesus has come back to life, and the angels give the women two instructions. The angel said, go quickly and tell the disciples. But do you know what the angel said first? Come and see. Come and see where he laid. And that's the challenge. That's the invitation to come and see. Come and examine the evidence for yourself. So the question is, would you like to overcome your doubts and increase your faith?
Is it your desire to believe? Then put yourself in a place where you can be exposed to the evidence. Objectively examine the evidence and then make a decision. Dr. Anthony Flew has been called one of the most influential atheist philosophers in the world. His arguments against the existence of God are staples in many college textbooks. And he argued and he debated atheism for years. But around 20 years ago, Dr. Flew changed his mind to believe in God. He announced this new position of his in letters he wrote to philosophy journals in a new edition of his classic book, God and Philosophy. For one of the 20th century's most famous atheist philosophers to become a theist, believing in God, was huge news in academic and and philosophical circles. It even made The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. When Jay Leno heard that Dr. Flew was beginning to change his mind and move towards belief, he opened up his monologue one night by saying, of course he believes in God now. He's 81 years old. I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it as you get closer to the end. But the key to Dr. Flew's conclusion that there was some sort of intelligent design behind the universe is the nature of DNA. Dr. Flew was impressed that, that at the center of each cell in every living thing is a code with incredible information. There is no known natural process capable of producing this information. He says the very nature of DNA is diagnostic of intelligent design. At first, when he confronted this, Dr. Flew began to vacillate, saying, I'm still an atheist, but I do have some big questions. He just kind of admitted that he had some questions. But then he read some books arguing for intelligent design, including Michael Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box. And in January 2004, he had announced that he had definitely become a theist. World Magazine reported this. For the 81-year-old Mr. Flew, renouncing his life's work and the reason for his fame is a matter of intellectual honesty. He says, my whole life has been guided by the principle of Plato's Socratic dialogues. Follow the evidence where it leads. And if you have doubts, then examine the evidence. Put yourself in a place where you can honestly decide what is true. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so just open up your Bibles and spend some time reading Scripture. I think when we do that, there's something mystical. There's something supernatural that takes place, and our faith is strengthened. So doubt is an invitation for you to have your faith strengthened. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run away from it. As we finish up, I want to leave you with some examples of people who have had some serious questions, but have had their faith strengthened as they search for answers. Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and for most of his life, he was an atheist. But his wife became a Christian, and he started to see some positive changes in her, and so he decided to attend church with his wife partly because he wanted to poke holes in her new faith and partly because he was curious. But in a worship service, he was confronted for the first time with the claims of Jesus, and after that service, he made a decision. He says in one of his books, while I didn't believe the gospel was true, 
I was convinced that if it was true, it had tremendous implications for my life. So I vowed to check out the Christian faith as a journalist would, and I'd separate myth from reality and see what remained. I'd examine the evidence and see for myself. He began his search with this prayer. God, I don't believe you are there, but if you are, I want to find you. I really do want to know the truth. So if you exist, please show yourself to me. And in that moment, Lee Strobel moved from an atheist to a true spiritual seeker who was honestly seeking after truth. And after two intensive years of research, Lee Strobel became a Christian. Or what about Josh McDowell? Josh McDowell was so annoyed with his friend's attempts to evangelize him that he decided he was going to disprove Christianity once and for all. And he studied history, he flew to Israel, and he participated in some archaeological digs. He did all kinds of study. And years later, he was convinced. He became a Christian. He wrote about it in two large volumes called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Or what about Vigo Olson? a surgeon who felt compelled to study the evidence of Christianity to try to disprove it to his in-laws. And after his research, he was firmly convinced. He became a Christian. And he wrote about it in a book titled, The Agnostic Who Dared to Search. Or like William Ramsey. Ramsey is considered probably to be the greatest archaeologist our country has ever known. And he decided he was going to disprove Luke's account of Jesus in the Bible. And so he went on some archaeological digs to disprove certain unverified elements of the Gospel of Luke. And finally, he was convinced, and he submitted his life to Jesus. And later, he said that he considers Luke to be the most accurate and preeminent historian of all time. Or what about Simon Greenleaf, professor emeritus of evidence at Harvard Law School, who tried to disprove Christianity from a legal and evidential outlook? Finally, he was convinced. He became a Christian and wrote a book titled The Testimony of the Apostles. Or what about Stephen Masood? He was strictly raised Muslim, but he wanted to know the truth for himself. And so he studied the Muslim religion, but he never found it to be satisfying. So he began to study Christianity. And finally, he was convinced. He became a Christian but he was beaten and nearly killed for his new belief in his hometown. But he stuck to it. In fact, he wrote a book called Into the Light. Or what about Rabbi Maharaj? A Hindu man, he had advanced in his religion to a point where people believed that he had evolved to the point of nirvana. And people in his hometown worshipped him as he walked by. But secretly, he never knew for sure that if what he taught, he really believed. And so he set out on a pursuit of truth. And finally, he was convinced. And he became a Christian. He wrote a book about it called Death of a Guru. You know what? I could go on and on and on. When we have doubts, and we will have doubts, those things don't need to paralyze us. They don't need to embarrass us because there are answers for our questions. There is more than enough evidence, there's more than enough historical reliability and intellectual credible evidence to support our faith. 
Listen, Christianity has withstood every kind of question. It's stood up against millions of skeptics. I'm pretty sure it's going to be able to handle whatever questions you have. Contrary to what people believe, we don't need to turn off our brains when we become Christians. When those questions arise, we just allow them to spur us on towards the truth. And as we finish up, I just want to say something really important. When we doubt, we are invited to search for the answers. But every honest search will lead us to the same place. Not to all the answers, but to the answer, Jesus Christ, who will make himself known to those who honestly seek him. One author wrote, reality is that when you stop believing it, doesn't go away. And the truth about Jesus is he is the ultimate reality. And a day is coming when your choice to move from doubt or unbelief to belief will no longer be yours. And so when these doubts and when these questions come, be honest about them. Expose yourself to the evidence and objectively make a decision and believe. Let's pray together. Father, I am so thankful that you are not afraid of our questions, that you are big enough to handle whatever doubts that we may have. God, I thank you for men like Thomas who wanted to believe and search for the answers. And God, I pray that no matter what questions, no matter what doubts we have through our life, that that would lead us back to you that it would cause us to dig deeper into Scripture. It would cause us to spend more time in prayer with you. That it would cause us to, to lean on other brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I pray that we would realize that every honest search for truth ultimately comes back to you. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so God, I want to pray whoever's here today, whoever's joining us online who may have doubts and questions right now, if there's anybody struggling, God, I pray that their search would strengthen their faith, that they would come out stronger on the other side. God, help us not to ignore the questions that we have, but help us to deal with them honestly, to not handle it alone, but to surround ourselves with people who will help us on the journey. God, if there is anyone here who's had questions about who you are, had questions about if Jesus really is the Son of God, if Jesus really did die for our sins and really did raise to life on the third day, God, I pray that today that their pursuit of truth would lead them to recognizing, like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And I pray that they would submit their life to Jesus Christ, accept him as their Lord and Savior, experience the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. If there's anybody here who needs to make that decision today to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life, to submit to you in the waters of baptism, God, I pray that today would be the day they do it. God, if there's anybody here who's, who's just struggling and they need prayer, they've got questions and doubts, God, I pray that they would come forward and they would get those questions answered. God, my prayer is that every one of us would leave here today with our faith strengthened 
In Jesus' name, amen.